Good morning. May I invite you to stand if you're able, please, and we'll just start our time of worship with lifting our voices in praise. <clears throat> Holy words, long reserved for our walk in this world. May One. 
Yes, we are. Amen. Be seated, please. A sincere welcome to join us in worship at Highland today. If you're our guest, we're honored to have you with us. We'll address what we have for our guests in just a moment. Um, I wasn't here last week. I had surgery on my shoulder, so I'm left-handed, so that makes it difficult. But the hardest thing is I don't usually worship with just one hand. I really like to use this hand. So I will say, this is my praise to the Lord, okay? <laughs> and if you're not comfortable with raising your hands in worship, it's totally legit, but I understand that you could join me in this, praise the Lord. Just try it today. It's really like no one will even see. Just praise the Lord. Um, last week, um, Adeline. Adeline was baptized. I was not here, so I'm like, what was her name? Someone told me. And so we wanted to share that video with you. So this time, let's watch Adeline's baptism. Adeline, this is a special day. It's a special day because you're making a very special decision. Paul said, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were baptized into his death so that we might live through him, raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, we may live a new life. Do you believe that Jesus is the King, the Son of God? Yes. And do you want him to be the Lord of your life? Yes. So now because you've made those confessions, I want to baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, so that you receive the forgiveness of your sins, so that you will walk in newness of life, and so that you will receive the Holy Spirit to help you walk in that newness of life. Okay. Your there you go. So if you see Adeline, please welcome her. She came to the Connections lunch a couple of weeks ago, and we all met her, and that's beautiful example of what the Connections Lunch is all about, is how can we help you in your spiritual journey, your faith walk. And uh, so we're thrilled. Very sweet lady. She's also expecting soon, so be praying for that. I'd like to ask you to stand again. I want to read from Psalm 105, and then we're going to continue our journey of worship today. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing psalms to him. Talk to all of his um, talk of all his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who rejoice seek the Lord. Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his face forevermore. Remember his marvelous works which he has done, his wonders and the judgments of his mouth. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Blessing and honor, glory and power, be to the ancient of days. From every nation, all of creation, bow before the ancient of days. Every tongue in heaven and earth shall declare your glory. 
blessing and honor, glory and power be unto the ancient of days. From every nation, all of creation, bow before the ancient of days. Every tongue in heaven and earth shall declare your glory, every knee shall bow at your throne in worship.
please join me during a time of prayer. I will word a specific prayer, and then we will all say, Lord, hear our prayer. The screen will prompt you. God, we come to you humbly in prayer, asking as always for your continual hand of restoration here at Highland. We request your action on behalf of member Ruth Jackson, who is receiving care in her home. We also ask for your gentle care for the members of our congregation who are facing the pain of chemotherapy and radiation treatment. We pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. We pray for your restoration in the city of Abilene and especially for the work done by the Highland Counseling Center. We pray for the people in our city who seek counseling for marriages, depression, anxiety, trauma, church wounding, relationship stress, fear, and so many other things. Vulnerability takes courage. And so we also ask for your help for our community to recognize the elements of confession present in the counseling space. Finally, we ask for you to give strength and guidance to our counselors as they manage these safe and sacred moments. We pray to the Lord. We pray, lastly, for your restorative work in the world, particularly in the aftermath of the Maui fires. Give us hope for the good work of the Lake Jackson Disaster Assistance Mission and their action inside the situation. Ours is a world where it is easy to forget the concerns of those whose long-term suffering is not nearby. So let our hearts grieve for the victims and for the land. We pray to the Lord. Now please join me in praying the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heart and heaven,
morning, Highland. My name is Kelly Young, and this is my wife, Joanne, and we want to welcome you to the communion table today as we celebrate Jesus. In a few minutes, after Joanne makes some comments, the servers will come forward and pass out the communion, and if you'll each please just take uh, two of the cups, one with the bread, one with the wine, and hold on to those. And after everyone is served, and after the prayer, we'll lead you in uh, taking each one of those. In thinking about welcoming everyone to the table today, I was struck by the memory of various tables that have been in my life. Growing up in our small house with five kids, you could not walk from the kitchen to the rest of the house if the sides of the table were up for dinner. We didn't know that our house was small, we just knew that we had a place to belong. While I was in graduate school, I spent many dinners at a table of an older couple. They were my grandparents' age. They were encouraging to me as I had moved to a new place and was navigating a new school. Their steadfast faith was an example to me to follow. While I was having lunch one day, they mentioned that they were getting a new table and chairs. I asked what they were going to do with their old table and chairs. They said I could have them if I wanted them. Side note, I was about to get married, and I did not have a lot of furniture. After 34 years of marriage, we still have that table and chairs in our kitchen. For me now, that table is a connection to my friends who gave it to me, but it is so much more. It is where my kids have carved pumpkins and colored Easter eggs, where we've had family meals and given our highs and lows for the day, where we have eaten and shared and prayed together. Our dining room table is from Kelly's parents. When they were downsizing, we told them we would love to have their dining room set. Again, it represents for me and us the legacy of our family's faith and hospitality to family and friends. Kelly's parents were always so good at inviting people to dinner, especially at holidays, people who might not have a family to be with. I have to admit that I sometimes got a little irritated to have these strangers at our family's Christmas dinner. But they were being the hands and feet of Jesus, including those that didn't have a table to go home to. Our dining table has been used for family celebrations like Christmas, Easter, and birthdays. It has been a part of our small group dinners and dinners with friends. This dining table has an irritating characteristic where if you hit the leg, it shakes the whole table. And if you've been at our table, you know what I'm talking about. So our table isn't perfect, but it serves as a metaphor for today's communion table. You don't have to be perfect to be here, and all are welcome. And there is a legacy of faith that is being passed down from generation to generation. We are glad that you are here joining us in this profession of our faith and of our connection as family. <coughs> Servers, please come forward.
Please pray with me. Father, thank you for this table. Thank you for Jesus, for his love, for your love, as it covers us today, as we share in this communion time. And Father, we thank you for those who have been at this table for decades here at Highland and know the history and have seen the different tables as they've passed through and um, know the people who have been here and have shared in that uh, wonderful legacy. And Father, for the people who are new today, maybe this is their first time, we thank you for them as they learn that that table may be a little bit wobbly, but it offers them love and the peace of Jesus. Father, we thank you for this community, new and old, and the love that you have shown to each one of us. It's through Jesus we pray. Amen. The body of Christ. The blood of Christ. Blessings to you all. Every heart that is broken. 
Included in our service today is a special time of blessing. Uh, we want to bless Darren Reese, and his family will be at second service. He's representing his family this morning, and he has taken a position and followed a call to become the worship minister or the uh, pulpit minister, preaching minister, probably worship too. Although Darren talks about his singing, but I, but uh, preaching minister at the Belton Church of Christ. Uh, so we want to do that together today, and Sarah Campbell and I, and you all, will be part of that blessing. So Darren, this isn't our first time to be here. Our prayers surrounded you in Thailand as you creatively shared the aroma of Christ. And later, our prayers joined you while you served as Highlands Director of Global Missions, a role in which you called us to see afresh the mission of God. Now we're praying for a new chapter of your life in Belton, Texas, as you assume the role of preaching minister at the Belton Church of Christ. It's an exquisite joy for us to be able to pray with you once again. And of course we realize that it's not about our prayers, but it's God's accompaniment of the music in your lives. Darren, you've helped us see our world and Christ's redemption more clearly, beyond mere promise or sorrow. Anne radiates spiritual grounding and wisdom. Bryn has courageous goodness. Meg cares deeply for others. And Dax, especially on the basketball court, has a passionate spirit. Each of you has eyes full of wonder. Psalm 44 speaks of the lovely and ugly bits of life, the pockets of sorrow we sometimes carry. And with a clear-eyed view of that landscape, the very first words of the psalm point to true north and are fitting for the ministry that you're undertaking. Psalm 44 begins with these words. We heard with our own ears, O God, our parents have told us the story of the things you did in their days, you yourself in days long ago. 
No sword of their own won the land. No arm of their own brought them victory. It was your right hand, your arm, and the light of your face where you loved them. Um, we're going to ask for God's blessing over Darren. Sarah is going to anoint him with oil this morning and invite all of us to be part of blessing Darren and his family. So as we ask God um, for this blessing, we want to invite you to participate in it with us. So we want you to extend your hand out to Darren and uh, join us in this prayer of blessing. Darren, may God counsel and uphold you as you continue following him and helping others find deep joy and life in God. May the light of God's face shine upon you. May the sword of the Spirit be with you. And may Christ's love be ever on you. We pray all of this in his holy and precious name. morning. It is time for His Kids Worship, so if you are three through kindergarten, make your way over to those South Foyer doors, and Miss Ashley is waiting for you. My name is Ashley Sturman, and I am one of the student ministers here at Highland, and I have a lot to tell you, so I'm just going to jump in. Um, if you're looking for ways to get connected here at Highland, you can um, fill out a Connect card either online or in the seat back in front of you. Fill, uh, drop those in the offering boxes at the back of the auditorium. You could also find someone wearing one of these lanyards, um, or you can visit our welcome desk in um, the atrium. Um, I have uh, several different opportunities for you if you are looking to get connected. The first is for if you are a parent of teenagers up through launching young adults, um, you are invited to attend a pop-up Bible class beginning next week taught by Amy Boone. The class is called Untethered, and it will meet in room 111 over the next eight weeks, going through the book Finding Our Way Forward by Melanie Springer Mock. And if you're ready to connect at Highland through service, I have two opportunities for you. First, we need several um, communion servers every week throughout both services. Um, and this is a very good way for you to serve as a family or with your friends or roommates. Um, and we use Sign Up Genius to track those um, volunteer roles, and the link to that went out in the avenue this morning. Um, it goes out every week. So if you are ever looking for an opportunity to serve, that's a really great way to do so. And then the second opportunity is Fall Fest. So Fall Fest is three weeks from today, from 4.30 to 6.30 p.m. out at Moody Ranch. Um, this is far and away the biggest event that Highland puts on all year. Um, I was running the numbers last week, and in order to safely put this event on, we need approximately one in every five Highland members to volunteer. And the reason that it's so many is because all of our volunteer slots, this is a two-hour event, but all of our volunteer slots are 30 minutes to an hour because we want um, Highland members to be able to come and enjoy the event as well. So we're not going to ask you to give up attending the entire event, but we are going to ask you to give up a little bit of time. Um, and if you could hear the urgency and the desperation in my voice, but uh, you're like, I really can't come that night, but I want to help. 
No worries, you can bring candy. Um, we have buckets in the South Foyer and in the atrium collecting candy over the next few weeks. We need to fill those buckets up a couple times over if we're gonna have enough. Um, last year at Fall Fest, we had over 1,100 people in attendance, um, and that requires a lot of candy. Um, so as you are going to the grocery stores throughout your week, um, if you see a bag of candy, grab it and then bring it to us, and we really appreciate that. Um, Fall Fest is something that is right in line with our vision of restoring Highland and restoring Abilene. This is a fun event that we are able to put on for both members and neighbors in our community alike. And we are able to offer it completely free of charge to everyone um, because of the generosity and giving that you provide every week. You can give uh, three different ways, as shown on the slide behind me, text to give, give online. Um, or those offering boxes in the back of the auditorium. And as always, we're very grateful to partner with you in the restoration work. Um, and at this time, we will hear our message for the week brought to us by Mike Cope. Well, welcome to Retro Sunday here. <laughs> for some of you. A much older version of an earlier time in your life. I, partly because of my job, wind up preaching so many Sundays, especially in the western part of the United States, and I don't get to be here that often, but make no mistake, I never forget where home is. This is home. And I'm so thankful for the leadership in this church, for, for the elders, for the ministers, Bible school teachers, and on down. Today, I'm, I'm especially grateful for Shane, who invited me to step in for him. Uh, he convicts me with imagination and speaks to my heart, and I'm so thankful to be able to, to step in for him. I was wondering, as I did a funeral here yesterday, how many funerals I've done in the last 32 years. And I suppose it'd be a lot. There have been a lot recently that I had to miss because I was gone, but goodness, through the 32 years, lots of funerals. And the truth is that most of the folks that I got to speak at their funeral were not people whose names are in Wikipedia. They're people who just lived their lives as people of God. They got up and they fixed breakfast and they took care of their family and they came to church and made mistakes and did some things that were right and slowly inched the kingdom of God forward. Yesterday's funeral was for Kay Meredith. And goodness, for 18 years, I got to preach with Kay and Floyd on row two every Sunday. Kay was an aerobic woman, and she locked eyes with me every time I spoke and nodded her head and moved her Bibles and in a non-charismatic, mostly white church. That's big. That's, that's, about, that's like jumping up and down in other traditions. And I won't forget that. But to sit with Floyd and the family to prepare for the funeral, it was a reminder that the Kay's life was born into relative poverty in southern Missouri. It's a life that won't wind up probably on Wikipedia, but was profound when you start looking beneath the surface to the layers to see what God did 
in and through her. The family asked me to read that long part of Proverbs 31 about the worthy woman or a woman of valor. Some of you have heard the Hebrew phrase, the eshet kail. It appears only three times in the Old Testament, worthy woman. It's twice in Proverbs, and then once in the book that follows Proverbs in the Hebrew Bible, the book of Ruth. And I think, how appropriate is that? It's like the Hebrew Bible says, and you want to know who is a worthy woman? Well, turn the page and come to the book of Ruth. It's not Queen Esther. It's not the leader, Deborah, it's not the prophet, Huldah, though all of them were in their own ways, but the definition in Scripture is this widow from Moab. And as I open up Ruth today, I'm reminded that this story is mostly unspectacular. I, I almost wonder how it made it into Scripture. Well, I, I do know there is the genealogy of David at the end, but there are no prominent figures, no courageous kings, no fiery prophets, no cloud by day, no fire by night, no dividing of seas. It's the story of a farmer and two widows, which sounds like an old hackneyed joke. It's in the time the judges judged, but there's no Gideon, no Deborah, no Samson, no Samuel, just nondescript people trying to feed their family. They're threshing barley. These are not the kind of people whose names come on as soon as the movie's over. These are the people whose names come when you've left the theater and thrown your popcorn away. And I think that's part of what I've always loved about the little book of Ruth because my life's pretty nondescript. Also because my most influential grandparent was named Ruth. But I think about that. I, I was born in the part of the world the Beverly Hillbillies came from. I went to elementary school from kindergarten to third grade. The name of the school was Field. Field School. My most influential teacher was Mrs. Land. I had Mrs. Land in field school. <laughs> in fourth grade, I was promoted to the intermediate school, which was ingeniously named Intermediate School. <laughs> it was so nondescript, they didn't name it. My most memorable day of school up through sixth grade, it was in fourth grade. I can still remember the trauma. I'm in class and I'm sick. So I went to the principal's office, a little fourth grader with towering sixth graders all around. Opened the door, walked in, and there was, there was an Amazonian woman on the other side. And she leaned over to me and said, may I help you? And I said... I'm sick. I know I wanted to say, I want my mommy, but I held back. I just said, I'm sick, and I need to go home. She said, you can't go home without a note from your parent. There's only one way you can go home. I need a note from your mom. And 
And I said, but I didn't know I was going to be sick. And she said, well, I can't just let you go home. The only way you can go home is a note from your mother. Would you like me to call her? And I said, yes. Well, no cell phones, obviously. So I gave her the number, and she called four, five, one, four, four, nine, three. You say, wow, Mike, you've got a great memory. No, it's still my mom's number today. No answer. Mom must be outside. There's no answer. And she said, I'm sorry. I said, but I'm sick. And she said, I, I'm sorry too, but there's no way. There's only one way you can go home. I've got to have a note from your mother. You can either stay in the office or you can go back to class. And it was then, really with no warning, that I vomited all over her all over the counter, the floor. I erupted. I, I was Vesuvius and she was Pompeii. If it was real lava, she would still be encased there today. Children in southwest Missouri would take field trips in 2023 looking what life was like in the 1960s in Neosho, Missouri. I'm 67. It's still my gold medal vomiting moment. By the way, there were two ways you could go home, it turned out. <laughs> One, a note from your mother, and two, vomit all over the associate principal. But that's, that's pretty much my life. It was nondescript. And so when I, when I come here, I'm struck by God using these people and also because I and many of you have suffered many griefs in our life, I'm struck by how it begins with wave after wave of grief. So much so that now an older woman, Naomi, goes back to the village where she had lived and the women aren't even sure it's her. Now, I know time takes its toll. But this was something else. You'd still know somebody. This is the kind of weathering from grief that plastic surgeons and Botox can't help. It's being worn out by life so that when she comes back, people quizzically ask, could this be Naomi? And it's all pretty well defined in the first five verses of Ruth. It happens so quickly, and part of me wants to fast forward to the love story, the Boaz and Ruth story, but on behalf of sufferers everywhere, you have to just sit in that. Because you sit in that kind of grief with people, this unimaginable grief. She's like the female Job of the Old Testament is Naomi. And wonder, has God skipped out on her story? It all begins with famine. Now here in the West, we've got technology. We compensate for years with less rain. But when you hear famine, you've got to think of images that come from third world countries. Of distended bellies and emaciated ribs and sunken cheeks. 
You've got a picture of family sitting around all over this little village, which ironically was named House of Bread, Bethlehem. And you have to hear the husbands and wives asking, can we make it one more year? And Elimelech and Naomi decide they can't. So they leave, and of all places to leave, they go to the other side of the Dead Sea to a country named Moab. Now, those of us who know our Old Testaments well, no, that's not a likely family vacation spot. Moab begins in Genesis 19. The whole nation is the result of an incestuous relationship between Lot and his older daughter. And then in Numbers Chapter 25, as the Israelites are pushing through in their wilderness wandering, the women of Moab come out to meet the men of Israel, and scores and hundreds and thousands die as judgment from God. So severe is it that Deuteronomy 23 says, no Ammonite or Moabite of any generations may enter the assembly of the Lord. Not even to the 10th generation. Don't seek a treaty of friendship with them as long as you live. And yet, here we are in Moab. When we get there, we shift the focus of the camera from Elimelech, the husband, to Naomi. Because she loses her husband. Now she's a vulnerable widow. But she's there with her two sons, with Kilian and Malon. And they get married, but... What's the pool of women for them? It's not exactly every Jewish mother's dream that they go marry Moabite women. But they're in Moab, so they marry. They marry Ruth and Orpah. But then I almost hold my breath as I tell you what you already know, and that is that there's more grief ahead. First of all, there's the grief that for 10 years they're married and they can't have children. That's 10 years times 12 months per year times two women. That's 240 disappointments in a culture where they're looking for children. But the final card on top is that both of her sons die. And now we have three vulnerable women with no husbands, no children. And the story feels bleak. Later you hear the voice of Naomi. She feels like God has left, like he's abandoned the scene. And it's no wonder, it sounds like God has tiptoed out of the story. But now, now she receives word that the, sh the winds have shifted back home, that water has come. So she starts back, and her daughter-in-laws go with her. But as they go someplace between Moab and Bethlehem, she stops. She pivots in the road and tells them to go back. I'm, I'm too old to have more sons, and even if I did, would you wait on them? No, you go back. And they both say, no, we're going with you. But she does it again. She doubles down. No, no, no. You go back home. Turns out Orpah is the obedient one. She's the, she's the one thinking well at this moment, it seems like. She turns and she goes home. But, but not Ruth. 
Ruth says, where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God, my God. Now, ironically, those of us who are of a certain age, every wedding back in the 70s and 80s had this song in it. Remember it? Whither thou goest, I will go. It was like the Church of Christ canon in D. We had it in... It was the Pachelbel a cappella version of the wedding march. We had it at every wedding. Just as the bride and the groom come together, this song would be sung. And that's not even the context for it. One time at a wedding, I wanted to see the bride turn away from the groom, look at her mother-in-law, and start singing it. <laughs> that's what this is about. Although I understand the words fit nicely. But she's devoted. She's not leaving Naomi. She's giving up much of her life to go with Naomi back to Bethlehem. And so back they go. And then we get to the scene I mentioned before. Then at the end of chapter 1, they come into Bethlehem and the women are going, Are you kidding? Is that? Could that be Naomi? And Naomi, whose name means pleasant or happy, says, do not call me that. Call me Mara, because that means bitter. She said, I left full, and I have come back with nothing. To which Ruth probably said, none taken. But the story feels so dark. It feels like the first part of Psalm 30 and verse 5 that there is weeping all through the night. And at this point in the story, you're on tiptoes wondering, will it finish Psalm 30 and verse 5? But in the morning, there's rejoicing. Will it turn out that way? Well, in chapter 2, the scene shifts. You can't just stay at home. You can't wait for luck to happen. You've got to eat. And Ruth is younger, so she takes advantage of the Jewish law which is concerned for widows, orphans, immigrants, and the poor. The law says that they can go into the fields and glean because that land is really God's land. You may have the deed, but it's not yours, it's God's. And God will care for the widows, the orphans, the immigrants, and the poor. So you leave the corners of the field unharvested for the poor. And when you're gleaning and you drop some of the stalks, you leave it for the poor. She's going to take advantage of that. So Ruth goes out and the text playfully says she went to a land that happened. It's this lovely playful wink-wink part of the book of Ruth. It just happened that she wound up in land belonging to Boaz. Now, she doesn't know it yet, but Boaz is related to her dead father-in-law. She goes out, and while she's busy working, he comes up. He comes to all his workers as he arrives on the scene, and he says, Yahweh be with you all, and they say, and the Lord be with you too. Now, at this moment, I've always thought it would be fun to freeze frame the story and ask somebody, hey, what do you think about the two of them winding up together someday? I'm like, that's not going to happen. This guy's the boss. She's following behind the servants. He's rich, she's poor, he's Jewish, she's Moabite. This is not going to happen. 
Boaz sees her there and he inquires about her. And he's told the story. This is Ruth. And she's committed her life to this Jewish woman, Naomi. She's come back. She's watching over her. She wants to feed her mother-in-law. So Boaz calls her over and tells her she can continue gleaning in the field. In fact, she can drink with his servants. He's going to take care of her as she takes care of Naomi. And she says, why have I found favor in your sight? Boaz, a man of great faith and integrity, says, they told me what you've done for Naomi. He'd heard about it. He'd heard the story of whether thou goest, I will go. And he says, may the Lord repay you for what you've done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you've come to take refuge. He invites her to eat with the harvesters and take what's left, and then she goes back out. And at the end of the day, she goes over and she threshes everything, and she's left with a 30-pound sack of barley to take home to Naomi. Now, you think of a 30-pound bag of ice or a a 20-pound bag of potatoes, that's a lot of grain. He's taken care of her. She goes home with it. She reports this to Naomi. Well, whose field was it? Some guy named Boaz. And Naomi says, Boaz, that's our relative. He could rescue these vulnerable women if he's willing. So out to the field she goes. Chapter 2 ends. And in chapter 3, Naomi says, Ruth, it's time to kick it up a notch. Uh, it feels like this is headed somewhere. He seems willing to take care of us. So today, go take a bath. Put on a little Chanel number no. five with its hint of barley stock, <laughs> malt grain. Put on your nicest dress and go out there. Wait until work is done and he's done eating and drinking. And then when he goes to bed, just go slip in there with him. And yes, that's just as awkward as it sounds. Except marriage proposals come in a lot of different ways in the world's cultures. And I suppose that's sort of what that was. He knows where this story is going. She knows where this story is going. He has the opportunity to marry Ruth, to buy off the land that belonged to Elimelech, and to let the story continue. But when she does that, he wakes up and says, Who is that? And she says, It's Ruth. And, and Ruth says, Look, I'd like to invite you to spread, this is a euphemism, spread the corner of your garment. But the funny thing is the word garment is the same Hebrew word back when Boaz said to her, may God put you under his wings. And now she's suggesting to him, maybe the way God puts me under his wings is to let you step into the story and redeem this. But that's when we find out there's another player. We don't know about that until now. There's a kinsman redeemer. So Ruth goes home again with lots of food. And Naomi explains to her, look, I know men. This is not going to take long. They'll deal with this tomorrow. So chapter 4 at the city gate, 
Boaz goes, and along comes the kinsman redeemer. And Boaz tells him the story, and the kinsman redeemer thinks it's all upside, and he's in. And then Boaz explains the fine print. It comes with a couple widows, and if you have a child, the land will revert to Elimelech. Now it looks like all downside and no upside, and he's out. And Boaz is in. And what begins with three deaths ends with a wedding and a birth. The birth of Obed, who one day will have a baby named Jesse, who one day will have a baby named David. Which is why this story winds up in part in Matthew chapter 1 in the story of Jesus. The whole incarnation is full of these kind of unspectacular moments like Ruth. But God uses those stories to his glory. The, the only guy that doesn't get mentioned here is this kinsman redeemer. If you have a Bible, look at, uh, at Ruth chapter 4 and verse 1. It's interesting because literally he's, uh, he says, uh, Boaz says to him, Come over here, plony almoni. It's, it's an odd Hebrew phrase. It's like double trouble. It's just... Apparently what it means is just guy without a name. Mr. Anonymous. Um, it gets translated, I think my Bible says, come over here, friend, which is very polite. The Greek version of the Old Testament puts, come over here, O hidden one, which is closer. The idea is, I'm not going to bother telling anybody your name. It's funny because today, Plony Almoni lives on in Jewish imagination. Plony Almoni has a wonderful Twitter account. I'm sure some irreverent Jewish student in, in college someplace. There's a Facebook account and so on. But Plony Almoni just means, well, it's just nobody. John Doe. His name's not going to be mentioned because he won't step into the story. It's too inconvenient. But everybody else is. This story is full of it. It may not be spectacular, but in the steadfast love that Ruth has for Naomi, in Naomi's faithfulness that she lives out, in Boaz's willingness to step into a story, even when it may cost him, it's the faithfulness of the kingdom of God, and it winds up in Scripture. All these funerals I've done, I don't know how I'd ever explain to the Washington Post or the New York Times why these people are so remarkable. I could tell them the story that I told some of you yesterday, that I woke up the morning after my daughter's death, took the rubber band off my newspaper, and the woman who delivered my paper, Kay, had written this note of hope and courage and faith. And my little story could be multiplied a thousand times by you and others. And the pulpit today, the building, the pews, they're full of people whose names may not be in Wikipedia someday, but it's in your life that God is working. That's how he's nudging his kingdom work along as we participate with the risen Christ. If you're 
If you're a stay-at-home parent right now, you probably just are holding your breath until a decade passes. But listen to me. Those bedtime stories you're reading, those meals you fix, that's the work of the kingdom. It's the stuff that gets woven into the book of Ruth. Those decisions you make, those tests you grade, those times you care for others, the meals you fix for funerals, and, and on and on it goes through the daily, weekly tasks of this church. I've been here 32 years. I don't know if people will know who we are 100 years from now, but it won't matter. Because right now, he who worked with us in the past continues to work. He's working in our successes and in our failures. He's working in the ways we lean forward after our failures. God is among us, my dear friends. Your life matters. Whatever God's doing with you right now, you, you, you may think, man, I wish I could get up and preach once in a while, but it's not all it's cracked up to be. It really is, Darren, wherever you are. It'll be great. It's been a lovely life, and I'm, I'm joking about it, but my point is that whatever it is you're called to, friends, your kindnesses, your relationships, your faithfulness, and above all, your trust in God. That's everything. Let's stand together. Will, if I had a roving mic and went around, we'd learn so much. I came from southwest Missouri. You came from, well, you know where. And you graduated from that school and you married this person or you're single now or... But in all of these stories, God is at work. And God is bringing this church continually under his wings for protection and empowerment. So go out today, dear friends. It's not just the end of worship. It's the start of a different kind of worship, a life lived for Jesus Christ in a world he loves. Go in peace. Amen. Mm -hmm.